When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, it's Dan and welcome to our Tuesday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, the Hey Mary Kay edition of Mary Kay Cabot and I are talking about Odell Beckham Jr., of course, who's officially waived on Monday, uh, John Dorsey's legacy and how that Odell Beckham saga affects it. We also get into how the defense played, how Baker played on Sunday against the Bengals uh, and all of that. And then at the very end, stick it out to the end, Mary Kay tells a Bill Belichick story that I had never heard. I've heard a bunch of her Bill Belichick stories. I had never heard this one and it's a pretty good one. So stick around till the end for that. All of our questions came from Football Insider subscribers, so if you want to be one of those, you got to go to cleveland.com slash browns and get signed up. You get a daily newsletter delivered to your inbox. You get access to exclusive stories on cleveland.com slash browns, and you can become one of our text subscribers. So again, cleveland.com slash browns, the blue banner at the top of the page. Get all the info there and get signed up. Okay, here we go. Our Tuesday Hey Mary Kay edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Away we go on our Tuesday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, the Hey Mary Kay edition. And Mary Kay, of course, everyone wants to talk about Odell Beckham Jr. But lots of other good questions, too, from our Football Insider subscribers. So we're going to get to a bunch of them here uh, over the next half hour or so. Obviously, Odell, front of everyone's mind, we're recording this about an hour after the Browns officially waived Odell Beckham Jr. No surprise, as you reported on Saturday, they came to the agreement and, and this was always going to happen today. A question from Scott Mandel in Los Angeles about Odell Beckham Jr. and the GM who acquired him. Hey, Mary Kay, does the OBJ trade tarnish John Dorsey's legacy a bit? OBJ hadn't been healthy since 2017. His freestyle route running was in complete conflict with Mayfield's precision route running preference. Should Dorsey have known all that? I mean, in short, how does this affect John Dorsey's legacy? Uh, in his short time in Cleveland? Well, you know, it's a great question. It really is a great question because John Dorsey's legacy is somewhat complicated uh, because there are some really, really good things and there are some really, really bad things. And as of right now, uh, I do think that you'd have to put uh, Odell on the bad side of the ledger just because of the way that it worked out. Uh, When it happened, I, I was all for it. I wanted him to trade for Odell Beckham Jr. I thought it would be, you know, great for this team. Uh, and I thought it would be great for Baker Mayfield. I thought it would be great for Jarvis Landry. Uh, who could have foreseen all of the things that contributed to it not going well. Um, but John Dorsey's legacy in my mind is defined in large part by hiring Freddie Kitchens as, as when he had that chance to hire a head coach, he hired Freddie Kitchens. And of course, that, uh, you know, that was just an absolute disaster. So it would be hard to top that. I mean, because if he hadn't hired Freddie Kitchens, and maybe they end up with Kevin Stefanski a year earlier, maybe that year goes differently and you don't go six and 10. And maybe Kevin Stefanski gets things rolling and Odell doesn't struggle that whole entire year. 
And then last year was once again, kind of a wash because then you brought in a new coach and he tore the ACL. And then this year, I don't, I, I think, I actually think they might've ended up being okay as the season went along. Uh, but once again, I think that that one catch for six yards against the Steelers was such a last straw that nobody was willing to give it time to see if it was going to get any better. Now, after seeing the game yesterday, even though, as we talked about on our pod yesterday, it wasn't some magnificent Baker Mayfield performance. He still is a different quarterback without Odell Beckham Jr. on the field. He's a better quarterback with Donovan Peoples-Jones on the field than he is usually with Odell on the field because they have a natural chemistry. Um, so, you know, I don't think that this, that Odell is going to tarnish John Dorsey's legacy. Um, I don't think it will tarnish it as much as the Freddie Kitchens thing did. And here, here's some, also something to remember. I mean, when you look at this offense, I mean, think about the fact that, I mean, he drafted, and, and some of the defensive players too, but he drafted Baker Mayfield. He traded for Jarvis Landry. He drafted Wyatt Teller. Wyatt Teller, Kareem Hunt. I mean, last year when we were, you know, throwing all these snowflakes out, it was like, John Dorsey put this offense together, right? So um, I, I think the jury is still out on his legacy in some ways because Baker Mayfield is such a big part of it. He's such an enormous part of it. Now, I mean, Denzel, it, it looks like he's working out to be, you know, living up to his status, Nick for sure. Um, but, I, you know, I think in some ways the jury is still out a little bit on Baker Mayfield if he can be that guy that can win Super Bowls for them because that's what you have to try for when you're picking the num the quarterback number one overall. So I don't know that we 100% know yet that he is going to be that guy. Um, so I, I would say that Odell kind of goes on the mm, not so great side of the ledger, but the legacy is still a work in progress. Yeah, and, and you and I both said it when we did the emergency pod on Friday, I think it was, that it, it was a deal that we would make again, mm -hmm. just kind of in that you got to shoot your shot, right? You, you've got to, you rolled the dice to go get a playmaker. It ended up not working out. Okay. But, you know, John Dorsey's, I think complicated is the right word because I feel like this team, like this team needed John Dorsey, right? They, they needed a guy, you know, after Sasha, you know, they had all these assets, all this money. They needed a guy to come in and just, pedal to the metal, accelerate this thing. Mm -hmm. I'm going to find the quarterback. I'm going to add talent no matter what. Like, I'm, I'm going to take all these assets and I'm just going to use them and I'm just going to add talent across the board. That's sort of how it is with, with John Dorsey. He comes in, that old school Ron Wolf style of, scout, of scouting. I'm mm -hmm. sure that being around John Dorsey helped Andrew Barry, even though they're two very different types of GMs. I'm sure mm -hmm. it helped him to be in that to be around that Ron Wolf kind of style of, of doing things and that old school, like we're going to watch tape for hours and hours, you know, way of doing things. It, it really did accelerate things. And he added a ton of talent to this team. And, you know, some of it is, you know, you take a chance on a guy like Kareem Hunt. That one could have really gone sideways, but it didn't. It's worked out great. He's, he's been, he's been fine. He hasn't gotten into trouble. Um, and, and he's one of your best offensive players. You go get a guy like Odell Beckham Jr. It just doesn't work. That's, I don't know. I, I've, this team needed John Dorsey, even if it was just sort of a, a flash in the pan. 
uh, moment for him. Yes. In terms of player acquisition, I think mostly a success um, until we sort of like, until the, the book is written on how Baker Mayfield's career turns out. Uh, I'll tell you, before this this game, and again, he only completed 14 passes, just one of them happened to be a 60-yard touchdown, and the other one was a nice 18-yard touchdown. That was a nice throw, too. Um, but um, before this game, before this victory over the Bengals, I, at, when he was at three and four, his own record, because Case won, won one of those games, at three and four and adding up, and I wrote about this the other day and adding up all the statistics and looking at fourth quarter comebacks and third, third, third down passing, fourth quarter passing, quarterback rating and all that kind of stuff. I was like looking at all this stuff and thinking, you know, I, I just don't know. I just don't know if, if you can honestly sit here today and say, we know for a fact, this is the guy. And that's basically why, you know, I wrote, he's got nine more games to prove that he is the guy like Odell's gone. This is your show. Now, what do you got? Uh, and, and I still do think that's, that's important. Yeah. I, I thought it was a very efficient game. I thought it was really, you know, he hit those deep shots. I, I mean, I thought that second throw to Donovan people's Jones was as good a throw as he's made in a Browns uniform. I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I mean, it was, it was a nice game from Baker Mayfield and that this was the 2020 offense. Again, this was Nick Chubb making big plays. This was Baker taking advantage of some opportunities. To, it, it was fine. And I, you can win a lot of games if Baker Mayfield plays like this every single Sunday. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. It, it was, it was fine. I don't know if people want us to sit here and say it was an amazing game. I don't know that I would use that word. It, it was exactly what you want out of your quarterback on a day like this. Yes. And the other thing, uh, I think it's important to note that, um, you know, when, when I looked at all the, the defenses from, from last year, from 2020, and who they, um, you know, who they played and who they beat down the stretch, uh, there were a lot of past defenses that were in the, you know, the low, you know, the higher 20s, like 28, 29, 30, you know, whatever. Um, they did not play a lot of great pass defenses down the stretch. And he took advantage of that. Uh, you know, he took advantage of, you know, even the Tennessee Titans having having a bad pass defense. So when you look at the Bengals pass defense, uh, the Bengals were only 23rd in pass defense heading into that game. So these guys know how to identify the weaknesses. They identify those weaknesses. They found a weakness in Eli Apple yesterday a couple of times. He missed that tackle on Nick Chubb. Did you see that? Yeah. He missed that. And then, and then they took advantage of, of him on the deep ball. So they do a good job of knowing exactly which matchups that, that they can cash in on. And, and that's why, like I said, on yesterday's pod, I mean, he's going to match up well against the Ravens defense. If they're going to be 32nd in pass defense and not be able to, and now without their safety. So once again, uh, you know, I think that's important to throw that into the hopper because you want to be able to have really good games also against a really good pass defense. Yeah. And I mean, look, that's great coaching too. You find yeah. the matchup, you take advantage of it. And, you know, it's also, it's good quarterbacking. It's knowing who to pick on. It's knowing like, you know, Joe yeah. Burrow yesterday when AJ Green came out for a play, 
I mean, that, that was the first, I don't, I don't remember if he threw that direction, but on that drop back, the first place he looked was AJ green. Like that's, mm-hmm. that's what you're supposed to do as a quarterback is, is find the favorable matchup and, and pick out, pick on it. A Baker Mayfield question. This one comes from Robert Seltzer in El Paso, Texas. One of our regular question askers. Mm-hmm. Hey, Mary Kay. Baker Mayfield was magnificent on Sunday, but in the aftermath of the OBJ turmoil, was he more impressive off the field than on? That's a great question, Robert, because I actually, I actually think it was off. I really do. I think it was off the field. And I, you know, I wrote this glowing post-game column, you know, just in the, you know, the euphoria of thinking about the whole victory and everything you know you see the 60 yard touchdown pass then he comes back and has the David Njoku pass and um you know once again when you start to dig into it a little bit more and you know and it was a glorious victory and it meant so much but when you just start to dig into the every single play you know every single pass play and what happened when they got down after two takeaways and they only got three points, they started once at the Cincinnati 30. They started another time at the Cincinnati eight. When you started the 30 and the eight, you need to get touchdowns. You should not be getting last year. They were automatic. They were automatic in that. And they, they pretty much have the same offense. So that's kind of interesting. I, 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 well, they don't have Kareem hunt. And I, and I do think that once you get down into the 20, he's dynamite. So I think once he gets back, I think that will help their red zone offense a ton. Don't you think so, Dan? Yeah, and I, I'm, I'm going to see if this has been updated. But going, coming into this week, he was still leading the team in total touchdowns. I mean, he, he's a difference yeah. maker on this team. There, there's no doubt. Absolutely. John Dorsey, there you go. <laughs> um, but so, yes, I actually think. Nick, Nick Chubb, by the way, passed him yesterday. Nick Chubb is now up to six touchdowns, six total oh. touchdowns. Kareem Hunt has five. But remember, Kareem Hunt has only played six games. Yeah. So, um, I, you know, when you look at, at how the team rallied around him and his pregame speech, I thought that was cool. I remember watching it. I, I watched, I, I sat there looking out of the uh, the press box and, and watching them do that. It was right in front of me. And, um, and that was really cool that, that miles turned the reins over. You wrote about it, that miles handed the reins over to him and let him give that speech. And he got those guys fired up and that's why they drafted him. They drafted Baker Mayfield in large part because of the leader that he is the leader of players, the way he gets people to follow him, the Pied Piper effect. Remember that? Um, (laughs) that's what, Uh, that's one thing that he is so incredibly good at. And he pulled this team back together uh, in in the face of all that adversity and got them pulling all in the same direction. And, and yes, I I think that it was, I think that had more of an impact than what he did on the field. I, I thought, you know, we've talked about this Baker's maturity the last two years and this, this sort of tested that a little bit, you know, when, when he talked on Wednesday, he was real measured. He, he, he actually said he would welcome Beckham back, whether that was, whether he meant it or not, he said it. Uh, I thought yesterday, you know, he did bring up that, that he hadn't spoken to Odell yet, but I thought he handled that situation 
really well again, and he kept things very team focused and praised praised his teammates for how they handled the week. And um, yeah, I thought it was very. I, I thought this week was a very strong off the field week for Baker Mayfield and testing that maturity and sort of being that extension of his head coach. And, and the other thing too, by the way, is like, so Kevin today pointed out the stuff you were saying about like, you can't come away with three points off turnovers, right? You're coming off this amazing game and he's sitting there pointing out, well, we've got to do this better. And we've got to do that better. And I thought Baker struck some of those notes on Sunday afternoon after the game too. So it's just, we continue to see that maturity from Baker you know, when he's kind of the, the face of the organization now, which is not what we were seeing back in 2019. You can tell that Kevin Stefanski has really kind of that message has hit home with his quarterback. Yes, absolutely. He, he did a really, really nice job with that. And I think the thing that really stood out to me in his postgame press conference yesterday was the fact that uh, you could read between the lines very much. And he just kept on saying, we played for each other. Yeah. We were about the team. Uh, you know, it was very much the team vibe. I end, I end up writing, uh, you know, something about that too, where you can just tell that what he was trying to say is, and I'm not saying that this is true because I liked Odell Beckham Jr.'s personality. I, I you know, I really liked him as a, as a person. I know I thought he was a good teammate, but I think that what Baker was trying to say is, Odell was more about himself and now everybody on this team is just about the team and nobody's going to care if they're just a decoy and they're just a blocker if we're going to win the football game and everybody's going to just leave it all out there and I think he likes what he has around him going forward now I really do yeah all right Um, another guy that had to handle the adversity of this week uh, of course was Kevin Stefanski so there was a question about that Uh, the Browns had lost three out of four coming into this game. And of course you had the Odell situation. So from the 608 area code, Hey, Mary Kay, this is the first time that Kevin Stefanski has run into some rougher sailing. The short losing streak, like I said, they had lost three out of four of the drama, significant injuries. How do you think he is handling everything as a young, inexperienced head coach? I thought he handled the week tremendously. I thought he did a phenomenal job with the week. He really did. Sometimes he doesn't say much, uh, but he does a really nice job of diffusing a situation. And he he did it. I mean, he he really handled it incredibly well. Um, and, you know, he had to, you know, leave some of it. You know, he, he couldn't say, a, you know, too, too much about anything. And, and I thought that was appropriate. Sometimes you don't want to say too much, but there were two there were two phrases that he used this week and we talked about it again yesterday on our pod and i thought these were so vitally important uh because he beat his team over the head with it and that is our lives depend on winning this football game and we are desperate right and those were some big words right i mean that that's uh you know those are some strong statements to make that our lives depend on winning this football game but he was basically right. I mean, this was as close to a must-win game as you can get midway through the season. I'm a must-win purist. I don't like must-win. <laughs> I don't like must-win. We start using it too early. And I don't like it until you are on the brink of getting eliminated from being able to go to the playoffs. That's my must-win. That's my bar for must-win usually. But this was an enormous game. Because if you had lost this one, you would have been clawing your way 
through the rest of the season. You would have had no margin for error. You would have had to go on an incredible run. You would have had to make sure that you beat those Ravens twice and all these other things that you had to do. Now they're right in the thick of it with everybody else. They are absolutely right in the thick of it and they can still kind of control their own destiny. And he had to drive that point home. And that is not an easy thing to get your team to buy into or to necessarily believe, you know, mid midway through a season. I mean, it, it's, you know, it's almost like you have to work them up into a, a playoff, you know, win or go home frenzy. And he did it. I mean, he absolutely did it with, with those strong, strong remarks. And that was so impressive because they got it. I mean, that defense, that defense did come out and play like their lives depended on it. I mean, they really did. Jamar Chase looked bewildered in that game, didn't he? Yeah. He looked bewildered. He was lost. He caught six of 13 targets. He dropped, he was hearing Greg Newsom and those guys get there before he was hearing footsteps. I mean, he was rattled by that first interception of Denzel Wards. He was rattled by that. I mean, they, they had him reeling in that game. I don't even know what he said after the game, but I can just imagine that he was, he was just completely dominated and overwhelmed. And I think the defense really took what Kevin Stefanski said to heart and, and they just came out and it snapped into focus. And I feel like that game was a turning point for the defense. I really do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it certainly could be, this is, this is a game that, you know, we'll see how things play out over the next month, month and a half. I, that this could be the game we look back on and say, Oh, okay. That's, that's when it happened. Um, yeah. I, I thought those were very focusing. I mean, I thought that was his way of saying, don't worry about this Odell stuff. Yeah. Like, focus on this game, guys. That was yeah. his way of sending. And he put it out there publicly, which is something we've never really seen him do. We've never seen him be real desperate, right? He kind of did during the playoffs last year when they sort of changed the focus from one week at a time. I mean, you've talked about this to one week at a time, but let's go win the Super Bowl. Yeah. But um, yeah, it, it, it was very, it, it certainly stood out. And I think the other thing with, with Kevin Stefanski is, and we always underestimate this, with a new coach, you are the face of your team. Like you're the guy that's going to talk every single day. You got to talk after the game. You got to talk on Mondays. In Kevin's case, he talks twice during the week too. Some coaches three times during the week. Mm-hmm. And you have to be the guy that stands up there every day and has to answer the questions about stuff that maybe doesn't even come across your desk. You know, I mean, it might be Andrew Barry's problem. It might be Jimmy Haslam's problem, but you're the guy that has to stand there and answer those questions every single day. And that's, that's a hard thing to do. We've seen it eat up a lot of coaches here and he's, he has just sort of been this stabilizing face of the organization. I thought he handled every step of last week, just fine. And I actually thought too, it stood out to me that we, you know, you show up there on Wednesday, Baker is supposed to talk at like 11 o'clock on Wednesdays, every single day. And they moved him. They wanted Kevin to be the first voice that we heard regarding all this Odell stuff for the most part. Um, And I'm sure Kevin had something to do with that. So I I just, being the face of the organization and just being a competent guy who can stand behind a microphone and not say the wrong thing has really kind of helped this team move forward. Yes, and Dan, contrast that with Pittsburgh started it. Yes. (laughs) 
paint complete contrast to uh, you know the dysfunction under Freddie Kitchens. He never said the right thing, right? I mean, he no, almost- and, and I'll I'll never forget the Bob Wiley saga too. Yeah, where Bob Wiley made some inflammatory comments, and Freddie initially kind of no commented it. Yeah, and then I think two minutes later he went back and just went on this long rant about Bob Wiley. Like Kevin right. would never do that. The guy's not in the building anymore. <laughs> no, no, he didn't. Freddie did not know how to handle uh, those, handle the adversity and handle those kinds of situations. I mean, he was too much of a loose cannon. He had too much of a temper. Uh, you couldn't work through anything with him. And uh, no, he did not handle, he did not handle those things well at all. And everybody that we've ever talked to, even, you know, before Kevin really was on the job, you know, Brad Childress and everybody, that's what they talked about. They just, you know, they said, you will be amazed at how mature he is and uh, just how unflappable he is. And really, ever since the day he set foot here, it's always been hard for me to believe that he was 38 at the time. I mean, and that's the same age that Bill Belichick was when he took over the, the head coaching job of the Cleveland Browns. I mean, it just sounds so young to me now. It probably <laughs> sounds young to you, right, Dan? It's younger than you. Well, I, I did that story on him and when I went to Philadelphia and yeah, he graduated like two years after I did in <laughs> high school. And but yeah. and like listens to the same music and like, I'm like, oh, okay, this is just weird. Yeah, isn't it? I mean, I mean, he, but he, I mean, I don't know. He's a little bit of an older soul. He's just a mature guy. Now his beard is catching up to the whole program. You know, he's got, <laughs> he's got the gray beard now. Um, so yeah, uh, he, his, you know, his beard is basically the age that he probably really is in that mind. But um, for him to be able to handle everything the way that he does for a second year head coach, I think it's pretty remarkable. Few questions here. Let's go to the defense. You touched on this a little bit, uh, but this comes from Carl B in the 408 area code. Hey, Mary Kay, do you think it's time to recognize the progress Joe Woods and his defense have made? They are quietly one of the better defenses in the league, and corralling Joe Burrow and company is not an easy task. A lot of questions about Joe Woods a few weeks ago, even, and now here we are. I mean, that was that was the best game this defense has played. Well, you know what, Dan, I think that um, that you might have picked up on the fact that I have never been down on, on Joe Woods throughout this whole entire season about that defense. And the thing that I have harped on from minute one is the fact that these guys never had a chance to work together. They were injured like crazy. I mean, they were felled by hamstring injuries throughout in all of training camp, you know, all kinds of soft tissue injuries. And he just kept having to work with what he had to work with. And um, it was just always one thing after another. And I, I did wonder how the heck is this defense going to play together when they never had time to practice together. And it, it took a while and it's still a work in progress, but the, the group that really came together and came of age yesterday, obviously was the secondary. The secondary was like, okay, We've got this. I thought Greg Newsom had a, had a terrific game. He's getting really good. He's getting really, really good. Um, obviously Den- Denzel's played Troy Hill. I mean, every single time we looked out there, Troy Hill was doing something good, except for that he got flagged once for pass interference. But for the most part, it was like, 
he had his best game of the season. So I always felt like the second half for this defense was going to be when the lights came on, when Joe Woods not only sort of figured out how he wanted to use his personnel, but how his personnel kind of snapped to focus in their roles and in this defense. And one key to all of this, I think, and this is very important in my mind, is John Johnson three. John Johnson three was the biggest offseason free agent acquisition. You don't go out and spend that kind of money on that guy unless you expect him to be a difference maker week in and week out. And all of a sudden, what are you now seeing? JJ three is turning into a game changing playmaker. And I think he's turned the corner and the fact that he's turned the corner is going to go a long way towards good defensive play throughout the rest of the season. And see, I I wanted to look this up uh, as we were talking the the PFF grades from yesterday. And this, this is one of those moments where PFF grades just drive me crazy. Greg Newsome was pretty low. He was the seventh highest graded guy in coverage on the Browns yesterday and a 65.7 coverage grade. And I just, I can't, I can't get behind that. Sorry, PFF. I disagree. (laughs) Greg Newsom I watched yesterday was one of the best defensive players the Browns had on the field. Mm -hmm. Uh, So this is one of those moments where these PFF grades and I I can't, I mean, they gave him a 58.2 defensive grade. I'm not buying it. Sorry, PFF. I'm out on this one. Mm-hmm. Same. Um, yeah, I, I thought he was really good. And and uh, by the way, on that flea flicker that the Bengals ran early in the game, yeah, he was all over Jamar Chase. And I like I think that's where they wanted to go. And it ended up being a good chunk play for the Bengals, but that was not the play they wanted. They wanted to go to Jamar Chase down the field on that flea flicker, and, and Greg Newsom covered him really well. Yeah, you know what, Dan? I'll tell you, they kind of knew. There was nobody else on the Bengals that had more than two touchdowns, two touchdown catches, I don't think. And Jamar Chase had seven. And they basically had the game plan to mess him up. And it worked beautifully. I mean, I think they watched what the Jets did to him. And then he had another game where he did not play well at all. And their game plan, their focus as Kevin Stefanski said today, was to deny him the football. And for the most part, they did. Most of the time, they did. And in in big moments, too. I mean, all you needed to do early on was, you know, hit a couple of those big plays to him, and it's a different ballgame. And they they could not make it happen. And I I just thought that that was – it was just tremendous how they pulled together and had that kind of a game in the secondary. It's, uh, it was very Belichickian, right? Take away what, what the other team does best. Right. Um, which is something I think we're going to talk about a lot this week uh, as the Browns gear up to play the Patriots. All right, let's talk about a contract, but not the contract we normally talk about. This, guy, this guy's name came up a few times. And I, I think with some resolution on this Odell Beckham situation, you know, frees up a little money. And so, you know, we're going to talk about this guy. Uh, This comes from Fred in Naples. Again, there were a few questions about Wyatt Teller and his contract, but Fred in Naples. Hey, Mary Kay, Wyatt Teller is an absolute stud. I think he should be the top priority in contract extension talks. What do you guys think? We've talked about Wyatt a lot, and I think we've sort of assumed he'd be the odd man out. When I've talked to Wyatt, I talked to him during training camp. Um, 
and it really did feel like he wasn't out the door, but it felt like he understood that maybe there just wasn't going to be enough money. These situations change now. It's November. Where, where are we at, Mary Kay, in your mind as far as Wyatt Teller and a possible new contract go? Well, you know, all along, I have thought that Wyatt Teller would be one that would want to test the, uh, the free agent waters because he stands to, to really hit the jackpot. But there are other considerations when you play football, and that is playing for a contender, playing on a line for people that you like, playing for coaches that you like. And I think he really likes it here. And so therefore, I think they should sit down at the negotiating table, all of them, and try to get him under contract, try to get him wrapped up. He's the kind of guy that you want to have on this team. Uh, he is so important. I mean, what a game he had yesterday. And um, so, yeah, I think uh, I think they should hurry up and try to, to wrap him up and give him something that he can feel really, really good about and put incentives in it and do whatever you have to do and uh, try to see if you can't hammer something out before he hits free agency. Yeah, and I mean, the other consideration is, this is a weird thing to say about a guard, but the other consideration is system. And part, I mean, part of what makes Wyatt so good is he's playing in this system where he can get out and pull and, yeah. you know, kind of lead the way for Nick Chubb and, and Kareem Hunt. And this is like the perfect system for him. If he were to go someplace that maybe, and there's lots, but look, there's lots of teams that run this system. But if he were to go someplace where it was a little more, I guess, of, of a traditional blocking scheme, I don't know. I don't know if he'd be quite as valuable there as he would be here. Yeah, that's very, very true. And, um, and, and once again, it's a very close knit offensive line. They all get along with each other really well. And, you know, I think there is something to be said for that. So he probably, even though I'm, you know, I'm sure he still wants to hit the free agent market. I think he would at least have to consider a really, really good contract from the Browns one that can pay him, you know, some extra money for whatever pro bowls or, you know, games started or playoffs or whatever the case may be. Uh, I think he would at least consider a really, really good incentive laden contract for the Browns that might keep him off the market. Okay. Let's end with this one. This is good. This is a question for me. All right. But obviously it comes up anytime. I think the Browns play the Patriots. Uh, hey, Mary Kay, what's your favorite Bill Belichick memory from covering the Bill Belichick Browns? Well, At least that you can share. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know what? Really, it's a unique memory that I have and one that, you know, most people don't ever get to do something like this. And so, you know, I mean, it was just such a cool thing. I got to go on one of those draft visits that they do. I mean, he, Bill Belichick and Mike Lombardi invited me and Casey Coleman, uh, who was the radio voice of the Browns back then, to go on a draft visit with them. And we boarded the team's private jet, some black Cessna <laughs> or something like that, boarded the team's private jet, got to pick, you know, what entree we wanted to eat while we were on the plane. And I, I remember that I picked the thing that Bill was hoping to have he'd let me have first choice and I picked the salmon and I remember him dropping an f-bomb when I picked it because that's what he wanted 
<laughs> I mean, that's true. And, um, you know, he was kind of kidding, but, um, and then we, you know, we went on this trip. I mean, and he, we, we, it was in New Jersey, which was, you know, he had been from there from, from coaching the giants all those years. And so we get off the plane, we get in his car, he starts playing his head banging music. Like he, he really likes, you know, head banging rock. So he was playing that blasting that kind of music in the car. And then we had to stop so he could get a haircut. I mean, can you even believe this? This yeah. is a story I've never heard. Yeah, we stopped. He got a haircut, you know. It's me, Mike Lombardi, Casey Coleman, Bill Belichick getting a haircut. You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it was pretty bizarre. And I, I remember I re, my regret on that trip was, and maybe you'll be able to relate to this, Dan, is that I was like, I didn't attack it enough. I didn't attack it. I didn't like when we went and when they worked out the player, like, I didn't know, like, should I go stand next to them over there? Or should I like hang back over here? You know what I mean? It was like, what is my role in all of this? And right. nobody really gave me any guidance. So I, I hung back too much. What I should have done, the 2021 version of me, and again, I was young, okay? Young, I tell you. But the 2021 version of me, I would have just stood right next to them and I would have told, I would have probably given my opinion on the player. <laughs> I probably would, I, now I would do that because, you know, I just have so much more confidence and so much more experience. And, but back then I was like, I'm not saying a word. I'm not, I'm not saying a word about any of this. I mean, I might not have said two words the whole entire trip, except for the word salmon. And I drew the F bomb from Bill Belichick for just saying that. So, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But it was, it was a priceless, it was a priceless trip. It really was. And then I think the player ended up getting like arrested within the, like a week or two later. Yeah. <laughs> But anyways, so yeah, that was, that was interesting, but you know, I have other memories like that. Um, just memories that, you know, that actually that I do cherish because how many people can say that they had an encounter like that with, with someone who will probably go down in history as the, as the greatest coach of all time. Oh right? yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I was, you know, listening to headbanging music with, Bill Belichick while he, st while he stopped in New Jersey and got a haircut, you know? <laughs> um, so, yeah. I mean, and he did other things too. I mean, he would bring celebrities to training camp. So he brought John Bon Jovi to training camp one day. Do you, you know that, right? Yeah. Yeah. I've heard, I think I've heard that story. I've said, I think, I think I've seen pictures. Yeah. So, I mean, we got to, you know, we got to meet John Bon Jovi. I mean, that's pretty cool. Right. <laughs> and then now, why am I forgetting the actress that he was, that he really liked. And that came to practice that one day, I, for some reason, I'm forgetting her name, but yeah, but he had an actress that he brought one day and yeah, it, it was interesting there. We have a lot of funny memories about, um, you know, just being beat writers and covering, covering Bill Belichick together. It, it was, it was a time none of us will ever forget. Yeah. I mean, a different era, right? Like access yeah. was so different, you know, and, and when, when he was here in Cleveland and, and yeah, I mean, I, that was a story I'd never heard. So I've, I've heard some of your Belichick stories. That was one that I had never heard. So that, so that was a brand new one. Yeah. I don't have Belichick stories, but I, I will say this. 
we used to do, unfortunately, I have to say used to, we used to do conference calls with the opposing coach every week. Mm-hmm. And the last time the Browns played in Foxborough was 2019. And it was the Browns played them after that Sam Darnold seeing ghosts game. Mm-hmm. It was a Monday night game. And our conference call with Bill was at like 10, 15. It was really early on a Tuesday morning. We usually don't do them that early. Mm-hmm. And he jumps on and gives an opening statement and gives a full scouting report of the Cleveland Browns within, I don't know what, I mean, I think it was a road game for new England within hours of beating the jets and the seeing ghosts, Sam Darnold game. He gives a full scouting report on the Browns. So it's just, it's stuff like that. Um, oh, yeah. It stands out to you when, when you hear him, hear him talk and hear that preparation and know kind of what, what he's doing in season. He probably hadn't slept all night and was ready to go the day after that game. Well, the thing about um, Bill Belichick is that he was the master of multitasking. I mean, I would, for a long time, we actually stayed in the team hotel. We stopped doing that after a long time for many, many different reasons, but (laughs) (laughs) for many different reasons, that is a podcast for another day. There are just, there are just things you don't want to know. There are definitely. Leave that up to the listener's imagination. There are definitely things that you don't want to know. And, um, and there are definitely things they didn't want us to know, but, um, so Bill Belichick would off quite often somehow have the property management people like steal the exercise bike out of the, you know, workout room and have them put it in his room. So I'd go down to ride the exercise bike in the team hotel and there'd be a gaping hole where the exercise bike used to be. You know, but and then when when Bill would do press conferences with us, sometimes he would be or, you know, whatever he was a lot of times, like he'd be like eating, riding an exercise bike, (laughs) like watching film. I mean, he was always um, he was always multitasking. No question about that. Yeah, it's a it's an interesting he's an interesting guy. Uh, oh yeah. Um, one of the podcasts I listen to regularly is Chris Long's podcast, The Greenlight Pod, and he played in New England for a year. And he tells some, some Belichick stories of no windows in the building and just how Bill was. Um, but yeah, they they do things very differently in, in New England. That is that is for sure. And I'm sure it was going that way here in Cleveland before everything went down uh, in that regard. Okay, there we go. Our Hey Mary Kay edition of the Orange Brown Talk podcast and bonus Bill Belichick stories there at the end for everyone. So appreciate everyone sticking here, sticking it out here till the end. Um, just so you know, that salmon order has never changed for you, Mary Kay, right? <laughs> that's right. If, uh, if we took that plane again today, that's one thing that would exactly, <laughs> be exactly the same. I would choose the salmon all over again. Always get the salmon. Okay. <laughs> Thanks everybody for listening. If you're not a football insider subscriber, go to cleveland.com slash Browns. Click that blue banner at the top of the page to get info and get signed up. Mary Kay, I will talk to you later. Sounds great.